This is Black Girls Love True Crime, a true crime podcast told from the perspective of a Black girl. Hey people, welcome to another episode of Black Girls Love True Crime. It's your host T. Welcome. I hope that you have been well since you listened to my last episode, whenever that was. I'm happy to be recording another episode for you guys. Um, I'm just happy to be kind of like talking and chit-chatting um, about Africa and about true crime in Africa. Um, so we are um, in Kenya this, this week. We're still in Kenya because we are um, doing part two of the story of Philip Onyacha, who was one of the maybe most infamous uh, serial killers in Kenya. Um, so if you haven't listened to the last episode, please go listen to that first because that was part one and it kind of gives a background on number one, Kenya. It gives a little bit of um, information or a little bit of fun facts about Kenya, the country, but then it starts off a little bit, um, gives you part one of this story that we're talking about. So we're going to get into part two today. Um, and so where we stopped last episode was about this guy who um, had just been arrested by police for and confessed to over 20 murders of mostly women and children. And he had claimed that the reason that he did some of this was because he had been in that was because he had been recruited into a cult and that in this cult, he had to kill a um, hundred people um, that was kind of like the goal and that if he killed up to a hundred people, he was going to attain some kind of like reward. Um, and the way that he killed people was after killing them, he would drink blood from their necks. So he was essentially a true life vampire. Um, and so apparently, you know, let's go back to Philip's story. So um, Philip claimed that he had never met other people from the cult. Um, he claimed to have had some um to have had some accomplice um for the kidnappings that he that he that he perpetrated. Um he said that there were two men, Tobias Aradi and Douglas Obiero, um, which were arrested shortly after his com- confession for having been involved in the kidnapping ring that would help him kidnap victims and hold them for ransom. So oftentimes, um, you know, the, the victims that they kidnapped would be held for weeks or even months before random notes would be sent out. And every single time when these notes were sent out, they had already killed these victims. Apparently, the victims were killed at the hands of Philip himself. And so um, Richard Katola, who was the head of the Special Victims Prevention Unit, told the media um, about these two accomplices. And he said that at that point that they were interrogating them and for what they had established, they were accomplices of this man and they would definitely be standing trial with him. So, but despite having two accomplices um, accused of kidnapping ring, they were still trying to figure out, you know, this this cult allegations that philip made you know what i mean because and that like as i'm reading it that makes so much sense imagine all these people 
who joined some kind of cult and the goal of this cult is that for you to get whatever reward you're going to reward, you have to kill 100 people each. So imagine a whole bunch of serial killers just going around trying to kill 100 people and drinking blood from their necks. Like, what the hell? Um, and so, you know, that would make the job of the police unbearable. And so, but Philip claims that he had never met any other person in the cult, like that were part of the cult. And so you know, the police needed to find the woman that apparently initiated him to this cult, which was a teacher from his high school days. And, you know, one person we're going to talk about, because every time that things like this happen, you always wonder, what about the wife? What about the wife? How did the wife know? Um, so Lydia, Philip's wife, you know, she, they've been married at this point. They, um, Obviously, I think we talked about it last last episode. They already had a young son. At this point, he was only two and a half years old. Um, and so she told reporters that, or she told a reporter that she knew something was wrong, which she did. She suspected that something was off. And so she said when police visited their home and they picked their her husband up for an interview, she thought that it was a work-related work matter, um, but that she was kept in the, da- in the dark um, until the next day when she saw the news. Can you imagine? Um, in the house. She was in the house when he was arrested. But she was shocked when the when she learned the news the next day. That it was about crimes that he has committed. Um, she said while she was reading the newspaper. She discovered that her husband was a serial killer. And she said she claims that as soon as she saw that she passed out. I can believe that. I can believe that like that. I, I'm not even going to think about that's not going to be my portion. <laughs> um, and so as the news began to spread, um, she was forced to leave home. And I, can you imagine like um, along along with her two son, about along with her two year old son, because she was f- fearful of, you know, retribution by the victims families. Um, she had to leave the village that she had become her 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 home. Um, just hours before an angry mob stormed into their home and they threatened to burn it down. And it would later be noted that this mob was only, was they were deterred by the police who intervened just in time. Um, but Lydia, his, you know, his wife would not return to the home. Instead, she um, chose to remain in her family's village over in Western Kenya. Um, she had to mourn not only for the life that she and her son had lost, but for the lives um that her husband had taken um and quote from her is that she said i feel i feel sadder for the family of the victims i keep praying to god to console them and i apologize on his behalf to all of them i can't even imagine i remember years ago um i had watched like a little i don't know if it was a ted talk or it's probably not a ted talk but some kind of talk um from the mother of one of those boys um, of the Columbine shooting, you know what I mean, and how essentially what her what her life had been since her son um, had been one of the shooters, you know, that kind of started, you know, this wave of school shootings because Columbine is one of the really really early ones, um, if not the earliest school shooting, um, and a lot of school shootings like happened subsequently would always like allude to Columbine and she talked about like the experiences that she had before and how she had to come to terms with the fact that like I can't believe my child did this to people like I can't believe that this was the child I raised and how do I come 
you know, how do I face neighbors and people who were in my community that my child had done this to? She had to leave her house because, you know, forget the embarrassment, like the shame, but also actually like your safety is at stake because people are going to come for you because there's no other one for them to come. There's no other person for them to come to. And then, you know, I can't even imagine having to, you know, how you would all the thoughts that would go through your mind like how did i miss that how did i miss that and so i always feel for you know parents or siblings or family members of people who commit these heinous crimes because a lot of times i can see where you would take on that burden um a burden that really isn't yours but a lot of times it's like how did i miss it how did i not see it happen um but man people can people people can hide man you don't know people yo people can be trash man they can do the craziest things right underneath your nose and you have no idea but anyway let's let's keep going going on about this guy so over the next several days words of his actions spread out throughout not only in nairobi but all throughout kenya and so within a few days, it became known as the nation's most infamous and most feared killer. Um, publications described him as having the eyes of a fox, quote unquote. And his soft-spoken casual demeanor often drew comparisons to Ted Bundy. Um, it was also noted that he had a large orange-sized tumor on the back of his head, something that had led to several theories about his mental health and his behavioral issues. And so following the news of his arrest, um, he apparently led investigators on a tour of his crime scenes where he claimed to recall each crime as if it had just happened. And so in some cases, the bodies of the victims had actually been found um, and were either unidentified or their cases had, had simply been left unsolved. And so his testimony was able to bring these cases back to the limelight and give them the sense of resolution. Um, at least, you know, I guess, not that this guy needs, not that there's any, um, like, there's anything to, like, kind of to make him seem like a good person, but it's at least good that he's not dragging this on. He's actually confessing and taking them through the crimes that he did, um, as opposed to making the cops have to force this out and, like, just let them suffer through it and leave family members still trying to figure out what happened to their loved ones. Um, but this trip took Philip out from Nairobi to Central Pro- Province and Rift Valley. So essentially, he was just really killing people in a bunch of isolated, undisturbed areas. And um, he, just as long as he could find somewhere that he could kill them. And this included um, cheap lodges and motels where he admitted to killing several sex workers. Um, and so... Of course, I mean, people were waiting because people were angry. People were angered by all of this. And so there were furious, furious people that were like just waiting with weapons, really trying to get their hands on him. Like I can see where there would be some type of like, let's get some social justice done here. And so in the first few days, at least four bodies were found. Um, these were victims victims that had gone missing in the preceding years and whose families had received no word um and this included two bodies that were found in Karen um and and then 
and 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 the thing that is crazy is the way that he would say like philip was that he had simply sometimes he would just see this woman on the street and like that that would be it like it would be like it was random it wasn't anything that he planned um and so it was around some of the searches that they ended up finding the remains of this lady that we started talking about in part one in in the in last week's episode um this was the lady that i started the episode with her name was Catherine chalenga and she was a 32 year old mother of one um and she had been missing for two years at this point so it wasn't until two years later that this guy ended up ident like take like they ended up identifying her body um so in a, in addition to finding the victims the bodies of the victims he also gave them some resolution for some unsolved cases um this included we also talked about some of these deaths from from last um from last week's episode the deaths of like some sex workers um Helen um Nyambura and Jacqueline Wambui um and their bodies had been found just months prior in in motel rooms and he had also philip said that he was the one who committed this murders um and so and so i think and i think this is what it is as an invest as an investigator um i don't even know if like investigators but i, I think from someone who like i said is very interested in like behavior behavior health and mental health i'm really like what happened here like what caused this guy who apparently teachers had thought was a promising or supposedly someone who had a promising future what kind of caused them to get this to to take this path like what happened they wanted to learn about what you know drove this once promising young man to become the most um you know this most infamous serial killer and if there was anything that could have been that could have made this whole this whole thing avoided and so um so let's see and so this is where apparently philip had told reporters that he felt a powerful and unstoppable urge to kill and he said that he derived pleasure from strangling victims and drinking their blood and like i said earlier from last week's episode he said that the blood filled him and gave him supernatural abilities that allowed him to subdue victims much more easily. This is insane. I mean, this 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 has to be some level. This is this is a level of psychopathy. So he believes that like essentially the more he kills, the more power he gets to continue to kill. Um and he, when he was asked why he has to target mostly female victims and also children, he says this is quotes when the urge comes they are the easiest victims when i meet my target even if she tries to resist she can't i can only greet her shake her hand and she becomes confused kind of one time in nairobi i managed to make a lady follow me only by talking to her but because i didn't greet her she survived i always went for the weak in society you know women and children are always weak and vulnerable which makes them an easy target okay you piece of shit you are taking people that you know you cannot handle like or, or that you think you can subdue because yes maybe physically you're stronger than them possibly um but that just makes you a coward you are 
preying on people that you know that you are able to subdue because you know that ultimately you can't stand up to people who would be able to resist you and it's a shame and it's not a it's not like a it's not a it's not a it's not a it's not a vulnerability necessarily i mean i guess to a certain degree it's a vulnerability but it's not a way to insult the women and the children that's a like you are the person that is weak here um philip not these women and children that you killed while they were living their lives um anyway despite claiming responsibilities he also tried to claim that um he wasn't the one who directed the the killings right because he keeps going back to this cult this cult they're the ones he says my target was a hundred women i managed i managed 17 and i had 83 to go can you imagine this and he says after agreeing to join the cult i graduated automatically from then on spirits would send me to go and kill in the cult, it was like in a stage. And to go to the next level, I had to kill a lot of people and also meet the leader of the cult. I felt relieved. I am happy to have confessed all this. Oh, I'm sorry. I feel relieved. I am happy to have conf- confessed all this. It was troubling. It was not my wish to do these evils. I know it's a crime to kill and it's against the Ten Commandments of God. But you see, I was not myself. I regret a lot. I share the pain with the grieving families. But then it was not my fault. I was, it was a spirit in me. I will not repent what I have been doing because my initiators warned me that if I ever reveal, I will not repeat rather. I would not repeat what I have been doing because my initiators warned me that if I ever reveal it to anyone or confess, I lose the spirit and the power. I am now back in my senses. Okay, so this is what I think is interesting. He's saying he regrets a lot. He's saying that he shares the pain, which that is bullshit. You don't share the pain of the grieving families. He says it wasn't his fault. He says that he will not repeat what he has what he has been doing because his initiators, the people who initiated him into this cult, they warned him that if he ever reveals what he's been doing to anyone, he will lose the spirit and the power. But my point is, it means you wanted to retain the power. So that's why you kept doing it. Right? Right? Or am I bugging? That's what I'm hearing. Um, so, and then, so let's talk about this. So, um, Elizabeth Wambai Kamani was 40 years old at the time of her arrest. Um, this was in June of 2010. Um, and, and I believe that like, let's see, because I know last, um, last, uh, last episode, I talked about a teacher who said something good about him in class, who had a good, um, a good, you know, um, like he was a good student. She had a good thing to say about while he was in high school. I believe that this was her. Well, she was arrested in june of 2010 when she was 40 years at this point um you know um philip was 32 she had been a young school teacher when he was in high school and she had taught christian religious education between 1995 and 1997 this were his first years at school and following this she had requested transfer to a city of Thika, citing medical reasons there she also taught um in another high school 
due to the language barrier, um, it seems like a lot has not been learned about, you know, more about what Elizabeth was doing in the interim years um, between, um, you know, when when 2002 when she left this um high school that she was and now that she's been arrested but it seems like she lived a pretty quiet life um that's of course until she surrendered to the police just days after the arrest of philip she'll be held in custody for the next two weeks before she was actually charged with any crimes um and it looks like when she was finally charged on june 24th she was charged with administering an unlawful oath to philip on Yacha, but there were way more charges. By the time she was charged, um, Philip's confessions had already spread through the media and he had claimed apparently that when he was in high school, one of his teachers, apparently this teacher, had developed an unhealthy obsession with him and he said that she would invite him over to her house where she would offer him food and drink which had been laced with an unknown ingredient and concoction, implying that he had been drugged. During one of these encounters, Philip claimed that she had lacerated his chest when he was in adult state and she had taken some of his blood and apparently she had allegedly put some kind of black powder similar to ash on the open wound. Following this, he alleges that Elizabeth Wamboy, Wamboy was all able to take control of of him through black magic rituals encouraging him to go out and to kill and he says that she often appeared to him in his dreams telling him what to do and that her hold over him continued to escalate in the years after high school leading up to the mid-2000s and that by 2006 he stated that she was able to force him to kill telling him that he needed to kill at least a hundred people before he could be fully integrated into her cult. Unsurprisingly, this entire series of events were denied by Elizabeth Mumbai. I mean, Mumbai. During interviews with investigators, she allegedly, she wasn't, allegedly was not very cooperative and at times actually seemed combative. She even denied knowing Philip at all but the police were able to connect them together through when he was in high school, in Kenyatta Mahiga High School. One police told the media that we have not made any headway. We are going at her pace because she seems disturbed and sometimes she chooses to keep quiet. For the next year, she remained in const- const- custody <laughs> awaiting trial. It is theorized that prosecutors and investigators were eager to try try her ahead of philip and his kidnapping accomplices as it would establish a foundation of guilt of the accused so ahead of the actual um, perpetrators one by was charged with administering an illegal oath and a trial was set to begin in september of 2011. um apparently the trial moved fairly quickly um uh so let's see and the wind was sucked out of the prosecutor's sails when their key witness, self-proclaimed serial killer Philip Onyacho, Onyacha testified that his prior claims about Elizabeth Mumbai was false. So when the rulings finally came, um, the they they acquitted um, Elizabeth of all of the charges, um, and so. 
it, it said apparently I think the judge said although evidence um before the court shows that there had been a relationship between Philip Onyacha and this woman um no one would know if it was like even if anything had been administered no one would know um if there was any oath that was meant to commit murder um so let's see and so despite any of the setback um that was suffered from the elizabeth wambai's acquittal persecutors were still hoping that they would quickly be able to launch a case against philip and his accomplices tobias aradi and douglas obiero um, they were looking to get at least they were looking at at least 18 murder cases which included charges of kidnapping sexual assault and much much more and the cases spanned throughout Kenya, including the cities of Nyeri, Nakura, Thika, and Nairobi. Their victims um, included many of the ones that I already went through, but I would go ahead and list the names again because I think it's important. Their victims included Catherine Chelangat, a 32-year-old mother of one that had been randomly selected by Onyacha himself, Jacqueline Wam Wamboy, and Helen, and it looks like Jacqueline Wamboy has the same name as the teacher, Elizabeth Wamboy, who supposedly, um, you know, initiated Philip into this cult. But I don't believe there's any relation. But Jacqueline Wamboy and Helen Nyambura, they were sex workers that Onyacha had murdered inside hotel motel rooms, as well as Anthony Ingeria and Metan Barasa. There were nine-year-old boys that had been abducted and, abducted and held for ransom. Other victims, including some bodies that Onyasha had led straight to, remained nameless and their identities unknown. Because this type of serial killer investigator and investigation had never been seen in Kenya before, the investigator, investigation would carry on for several years. Um, in 2010, Philip's mental health became the subject of court case of of a court case as prosecutors petitioned to try him for murder cases under the normal rule of law. If he was deemed mentally unfit to stand trial, they would have to try him under a different set of laws. So they called him psychologists and mental health experts to evaluate him, which I think this, I mean, this makes sense. And I think this is what is interesting, right? When I talk about like I think earlier on, you know, in earlier episodes, I had mentioned how many different countries definitely don't have a lot of reportings of serial killers as maybe the U.S. would. So, like, when they do have this type of issues, the way that, like, they address it is very different because there's just not enough, for lack of a better term, practice. Like, they just don't know how to deal with it. Um, And so... Yeah, so anyway, they called in mental health experts to help evaluate him. Um, and so the defense tried to have him ruled as mentally unfit. Um, unfortunately, they were overruled by the judge who sided with the prosecution and allowed the, per the trial to proceed against him. Later in the year, in 2010, he stood trial, but for, for a different case entirely. Apparently, he faced trials for an attempt. This guy is just an all-around douchebag. 
Um, he faced charges for attempted rape and assault of a woman stemming from an incident unrelated to his murder charges. Of these accusations, he was actually found guilty and he was sentenced to 12 years in prison, which because of the circumstances, he would serve in maximum security facility. Um, and that's, that's perfectly right. And so over the next several years, the persecutor will continue to build up their case over against Philip and his associates. However, because of his 2010 conviction, he spent the duration um, in a maximum security prison where he, quote unquote, seemingly tried to turn his life around. I, there is no amount of turning your life around, sir. You have to remain in prison for the rest of your life. <laughs> Shortly after his conviction, he had surgery to remove the tumor from the back of his skull. Then he began working towards becoming a preacher, a job he hopes to hold on to should he ever get released from prison. Sir, don't hold your breath. Like, if you're released, in addition to working as a preacher, he also works as a bookkeeper for the prison, which has helped him pass time until his trial. And so... Um, in 2014, nearly four years after being arrested, he and his accomplice, accomplices entered a not guilty plea in their upcoming trial. That same year, they saw another round of mental evaluations, which ruled that he still remained to be a threat and would likely reoffend if he were released from prison. Um, hell yeah. Um, in 2017, he's still awaiting trial for the murder charges levied against him. Um, and so let's see. Um, and it looks like in 2018, um, the prosecution was asked to submit their final paperwork leading up to the trial. Um, and this was this, this, um, report that I'm reading was actually, um, written in 2018 and I wasn't able to find any any um so let's see in 2000 it, it, did, it date was set for April 5th um of 2018 uh let us see what happened to him uh I'm trying to see here because I see like a news report that there seems to have been like a mistrial. But the report, it's, it seems like this, like if, if you remember, if you guys remember from my last episode, I actually said that this um, this website that I'm using is called unresolved.me, which kind of says like a lot of the cases on here are actually still unresolved or they're still ongoing. Um and so there was so high court high court James High Court Justice James Wakiaga ordered a brand new trial for Philip, ruling that the previous hearings against him in which the court had ruled on his mental health um were mistrials. So they stated that um Philip should have been tried under section one hundred and sixty two of Kenya's criminal procedure code. Um, and carried out with different sentencing guidelines. They also found that the prosecution had over the years tried to suppress mental health findings, thus ensuring that the case against Onyacha would proceed as planned. Um, so let's see. 
At this point, it looks like the case against him still remains an open-ended affair. It actually is... Um, uh, there's still news that we're trying to figure out um, what is going to happen to him to this day. Um, and he and his accomplices, Tobias and Douglas, are still awaiting trial. Um, to this day, of course, he still remains feared amongst Kenyan people, um, becoming known as the most infamous serial killer. In fact, he is credited by some reports as being the first serial killer to rock the nation but it is unlikely that he will be the last. Um, so I, yeah, like, like I said, this um, report that I really focused on was published October of 2018. And I don't know that much has happened since then, but um, I think he might, There, I don't think that anything has happened since then. But if there is any update on this, I'll be sure to put it, you know, maybe in one of the future episodes. But this episode has low-key wiped me. I'm not even going to lie. It has been... I, I really do like this website on Resolve.me because I just love the way that the stories were kind of told in, like, really perfect order and the way that it was told it was put together so well and that's one of the big things that i've been struggling to find is to find you know a website or material or where you know the content is put together in a cohesive way and i feel like this was done that so well but i'm not gonna lie man it was a lot of work to get through it um because there was just so much material and I didn't even know what to say. I didn't want to leave anything out. I wanted to give you guys every single thing that I could because I just felt like it just added to the story. It was nice to hear about his upbringing, but I also wanted to pay attention to the victims, the angle of like his wife and his family and his high school years, but also connecting back to the teacher who had given him credit when he was in high school also being the teacher who maybe was the person that initiated him into some kind of cult. Um, it's just insane, you know. I feel like I was really able to fully have a grasp. Like if someone told me, tell me the story of Philip Onyacha, like I could tell you the story of Philip Onyacha, you know what I mean? Um, and I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie, I'm tired. <laughs> um, I'm really tired because I definitely recorded last week's episode and this week's episode back to back and so I just went at it for like hours talking about this guy but I'm really happy that I did it um, and I'm really happy that I also took the time to break it into two episodes because I think that it was it's definitely worth for you guys and for me listening to that in two separate episodes I think is nice but in any case thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Love True Crime I um, enjoy recording this podcast, this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoy recording it. And every week, you know, we'll just keep exploring more episodes and also exploring more countries in Africa. Thank you once again for listening, and I wish you guys, you know, all of the best in everything. Just please stay safe, and, you know, until next time, deuces. <laughs>